Hey, welcome back to the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO. And I'm your host, Doug Lear. The last shot, the last shot for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Uh, we still have a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're going to get you a podcast extra with Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors, uh, and you can listen to them. You listen to Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. We know not everybody can listen to them on Saturday mornings. We know not everybody can listen to a podcast. So we break out a podcast extra for you each and every weekend. Before we do that, let's get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. You read her work in Dakota Country Magazine. She is an award-winning outdoors communicator, and she connects with uh, the people and the places, the bait shops, the gas stations, the motels, the resorts, the guides, to give us a better idea of where people are going, what they're doing, what they're finding outdoors. Well, Pat, what's cooking outdoors this week? As we check elsewhere around North Dakota, weather continues dominating many other areas including Devil's Lake, where its northern feeder coolies and cricks remain running heavy and high. Despite that, anglers are finding some walleye and pike success. Just a note on the walleye, a lot of spawning females are in the mix of those fish, so please consider releasing them. Those are the future of the resource. Also, use caution on the overabundance of wet and muddy roads, and try not to complicate the issues local residents are facing with that mud and water. Speaking of water, Lake Ashtabula remains above its normal spring elevation. As a result, some campgrounds will remain closed until water recedes. Several docks are yet to be put in place as well. That, too, will have to wait until conditions return to somewhat more normal. Farther west, the Missouri River is a bit muddy from rains around Bismarck-Mandan and further south into Oahe. Even with the increased moisture, the river and upper end of Lake Oahe aren't at their normal spring elevations, and access is still an issue in areas. The tail race remains generally slow. However, the east end of Lake Sakakawea is producing some scattered walleye success, using lindy rigs, jigs, and minnows, or pulling crankbaits in a variety of depths. Try working from Douglas Bay to the east, all the way over to the U.S. Highway 83 east end embankment. The midsection around Van Hook and the river portion around Newtown is also slow. Lake Audubon itself is also slow. It's kind of unusual for this time of year. Normally, Sakakawea's little sister lake is a great place to try early in the spring. Hopefully that changes with stable weather. And don't forget to get your North Dakota deer gun and muzzleloader applications into the Game and Fish Department by going online at gf.nd.gov. Yes, it's early, but truly, the June 8th deadline will be here before you realize it. Appreciate that report. That is Pat Stockdale, and she is an award-winning outdoors communicator. Again, read her work in Dakota Country Magazine and various other publications across the Midwest. Right now, it's time to get you that podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. You hear Brewer and Agri gone outdoors at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. Not everybody can listen then, and not everybody can check out their podcast. So here is a podcast extra. From Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. You know, Kyle, I'm really excited about this segment. I had uh, seen a small little article about this and I decided we really need to get this guy on because it's very interesting. Camden Glade, he is a fisheries research specialist at Bemidji State University, his first time on Gone Outdoors. Welcome, Camden. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So, what we're talking about is you are doing studies 
Um, and the one I read about, you're now in the third year or you're starting the fourth year of this study. And it has to do with the diets of muskies, you know, which I thought was pretty darn cool because everybody says, well, we don't want muskies in our lake because they eat all the fish. Well, let's see. Yeah, I, I think this study is, it's just super interesting. Um, how long have you been at Bemidji State? And is this really, is this what you went to school for is to figure out diets of fish or is there, is there a global uh, cause that you're, you're trying to work on? Yeah, so I, I went to Bemidji State for my master's degree starting in 2019. Um, I really I re- chose Bemidji State because of the project I was going to be able to working on be working on. It was super interesting to me. Um, I've been able to work really closely with researchers from the university as well as Minnesota DNR and University of St. Thomas on this project. And yeah, we've been looking at kind of what muskies eat, and then we're even taking it a little bit further and looking at what some of the other popular sport fish in the area eat as well, and seeing how those diets compare. Um, so it's been a lot of fun, a lot of work that goes into it, but it's it's been really interesting and a lot of fun to be on the lake and see what these big fish are eating. You know, the first question that comes to my mind, and I got to imagine you're asked this all the time, Camden, uh, as, you know, as kids, as, as young adults and growing up, and, and then now as older adults, we all kind of what kind of look at ourselves as sort of weekend scientists when we're at the fillet table, right? Look in the belly of that fish and see what they were eating, see what knowledge you can glean from it. You don't just do that when you're doing a scientific study and especially with muskies. So how in the world do you find out what these fish are eating? Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I got my start too, is cleaning fish growing up. I I'd always cut the stomachs open, but yeah, you're right. When we're, we're looking at musky diets, um, these fish are, expensive to raise and stock in a lot of these lakes and there's not very many of them so we want to make sure that we're returning those fish alive when we're done with them uh so what we do it's a process called gastric lavage that's just a really fancy way of saying we pump water into their stomach and make them puke um we we just use a bilge pump with a garden hose attached to it and we we stick a smaller tube down into the stomach of the fish um and basically just fill their stomach up with water until whatever they've eaten recently starts to come back out. It kind of creates pressure in the stomach and the water gets behind whatever they've eaten and it starts to force it back out. And then sometimes we have to use uh, like a big kitchen tongs or up uh, forceps or something to help it out if it's something bigger. But for the most part, it works really effectively and we've had really good uh, survival on those fish we've released. And there's been a few fish that we've handled three or four different times, uh, the same individual fish, and and they seem to be doing really well after the process. You know, one, one of the quotes I had read in the story, which I thought was really interesting, there's a lot of it that was really interesting, by the way. Um, it says that muskies have very low overlap with other predators, it's, or it seems to, from what you guys have found so far, um, where they're not necessarily competing for the same food sources. Is, is that true? Yeah, that's kind of what we've seen so far in a, in a lot of the lakes. Um, basically, what we've seen so far, a lot of the other predators will really key in on kind of the more abundant prey fish. In some lakes, that's a lot of yellow perch. In other lakes, it's a lot of sunfish and crappies. And it seems to be some combination of those three that really drives the diets of the other predators. Um, 
but for muskies, they're they're big enough and uh, they have big enough mouths, big enough teeth that their their options for food are really just expanded beyond what some of the other predators can eat. So they're able to eat, you know, um, northern pike have actually been relatively common in musky diets in some lakes. Um, big white suckers are some other things that we've seen also a few times. And then even some kind of more goofy stuff like some some frogs, uh, some birds, muskrats. Um, so, yeah, just kind of some some different stuff that we see, too, that the muskies are able to eat that those other predators aren't able to consume just because of size limitations. And something else I had seen in there is, is you're – I'm sure you have many different classifications, many different ways to break down this information, but one of them is by lakes that have ciscos in them, tulabies, and lakes that don't have ciscos. What have you found, you know, by breaking it down separately that way? Um, have you found a lot of differences? Yeah, so that's kind of something we've learned or heard anecdotally from anglers as well as from a previous study in Minnesota um, using a different approach to look at diets. But they've we've kind of heard that cisco can be important for muskies and maybe larger pike and walleye as well in the lakes where they're found. Um, so we wanted to look and see kind of how the diets compared in lakes with and without cisco. Um, so far, we really haven't seen a lot of Cisco in any of the diets for any of the predators, uh, the way we've been looking at it. Um, that said, we have seen differences in the diets between the two lakes, and that kind of goes back to the perch and sunfish and crappies that I was talking about earlier. It definitely seems like perch tend to be a little bit more common in lakes with Cisco's, whereas sunfish and crappies tend to be a little bit more common in lakes without Cisco's. And that's probably just due to habitat limitations for the ciscos. They need bigger lakes, deeper water, um, lots of oxygen, uh, cooler water throughout the summer, whereas sunfish and crappie are a little bit more prone to be found in higher numbers in shallower, weedy lakes that maybe get a little bit too warm for ciscos throughout the summer. This is really interesting information, Camden. And I have to imagine you are invested with your own blood, sweat, and tears into this study but from a bigger perspective, where does it go from here? Where does this information get used and where do you want to see this information go? Yeah, so at the end of the day, this is all for fisheries managers, both throughout Minnesota and then in other states. Um, what we want to do is we want to provide the best possible information to managers so that they can know which fish they're able to stock and manage in different lakes with varying prey sources and then how those fish are going to interact after they've been introduced into the system. And then they're also going to be able to monitor some of these common prey items that we've identified and be able to see if maybe there's issues with the prey sources that they might need to address before they start to really impact the predator populations negatively. You know, Camden, with all, I'm sure there's so much stuff that you know about this that I mean, it would be fun just to sit down and talk for like an hour or two hours and pick your brain on some of this stuff, even the lakes, you know, you, you, I know you guys are doing some lakes out in our territory, um, planning on it this summer. It'd be fun to hear about that. And it's just fun hearing about all the stuff that you do. If, if people want to find out more, if there's one of our listeners or some of our listeners that want more information on this study, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so I, I've been trying to share some of my research findings on social media, either through Twitter or Instagram have been the, the two places I've been most active. 
Um, you can just find me at Camden Glade on either of those two platforms. Otherwise, if you uh, want to shoot me an email for maybe some more information or if you'd like some some of the documents that we've put together on this study so far, you can shoot me an email. Uh, my email address is camden.glade at bemidgestate.edu. Perfect. Thanks, Camden. Thanks for all that you do for the anglers and for the fisheries. And thanks for coming on Gone Outdoors. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Well, it is going to wrap things up for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Appreciate the podcast extra being made available by Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Make sure you check out them Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock. And then also you can check out their podcast at kfgo.com. This has been the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO and FM 104.7. Until next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.